Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Mindcast First Quarter 2021 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star then 0. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Mr. Robert Sanders, Director of Investor Relations. Sir, please begin. Good evening. Welcome to Mimecast's earnings call for the fiscal first quarter 2021 into June 30th, 2020. I'm Robert Sanders, Director of Investor Relations. With me on the call tonight are Peter Bauer, our co-founder, chairman, and CEO, and Rafe Brown, our CFO. Tonight's conference call is being broadcast live. A replay of this call will be available after the live call has ended. We will make forward-looking statements regarding future events and the future financial performance of the company. These forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those in the forward-looking statements. We caution you to consider the important risk factors that could cause actual results to differ from those in the forward-looking statements contained in today's press release and on this conference call. These risk factors are further defined in Mimecast's most recent Form 10-Q filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. During this call, we will present both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. These non-GAAP measures are not intended to be considered in isolation from, a substitute for, or superior to our GAAP results. A reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP measures and the reasons for our representation of the non-GAAP information is included in today's press release, which can be found in the Investor Relations section of our website. The date of this call is August 3, 2020. Any forward-looking statements we make today are based on assumptions that we believe to be reasonable as of this date. We undertake no obligation to update these statements as a result of new information or future events. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Peter Bauer. Good evening, and thank you all for joining us. On tonight's call, I'll begin with an overview of our first quarter results and discuss the cybersecurity landscape as we continue to see attackers applying their craft, causing impactful business disruptions. Next, I'll discuss our Cyber Resilience Summit that we recently hosted with partners and customers. Then, I'll take you through some exciting new identity graph technology we have added to our platform with the acquisition of message control. And finally, we'll look at some examples of how Mimecast is protecting customers and the types of solutions the market is demanding before I hand over the call to Rafe to cover our financial results in more detail. So we began our fiscal year 2021 with solid financial performance, exceeding the high end of our guidance for both revenue and adjusted EBITDA. First quarter revenue totaled $115.2 million, exceeding the high end of our guidance by $1.4 million. This outperformance during difficult economic conditions is a testament to Mimecast's durable subscription-based business model and the highly valued services that we deliver. 600 net new customers joined Mimecast during this first quarter as we experienced some COVID-related headwinds in the lower end of the market, mainly sub-100 seat customers. Among our new customers this quarter was a U.S. retailer who purchased our email security 3.0 platform for 165,000 employees, representing a seven-figure engagement and among the largest deals to date for Mimecast. This is further evidence that our move up market is finding traction with some of the most demanding security organizations in the world. And I'm extremely proud of the way our organization has overcome the challenges of working remotely to continuously support our customers through these difficult days of the global COVID-19 pandemic. During the quarter, we witnessed attackers carrying out several high-profile attacks, disrupting communications, research, and commerce, illustrating the need for continued vigilance against adversaries looking to cause harm. 
Our latest threat intelligence report notes attacks incorporating a vast array of threats and a combination of generic Trojan delivery with phishing campaigns and other more complex threats preceding their deployment. We saw specific sectors repeatedly targeted during the pandemic. For example, manufacturing, retail, and insurance, possibly due to the essential nature of these businesses and their continuous operations during the crisis. A notable shift, indeed, in attacker focus from prior periods. Additionally, we witnessed the media and publishing sector suffering high volumes of impersonation attacks, potentially as a vehicle for cybercriminals to spread disinformation. Finally, our researchers noted brand exploitation campaigns moving beyond global brands to target smaller organizations who often have less sophisticated defenses in place. As we observe the threat landscape, we're reminded this is important work we do at Mindcast as we support our customers with defenses against these ever-changing threats. We're pleased to have recently been awarded a perfect score by EXA Labs in their most recent efficacy test of email security software, blocking 100% of threats presented. Now, in June, we hosted our second annual Cyber Resilience Summit, bringing together customers, partners, and prospects to share best practices and collaborate, including keynote presentations from industry icon Steve Wozniak and CrowdStrike CEO George Kurtz. Now, building on the success of our first Cyber Resilience Summit, we welcomed over 3,500 attendees to this year's event, including 2,300 customers, 300 partners, and 1,000 prospects, all interested in learning more about Mindcast. We received praise from both partners and the media for our engaging content and good humor while tackling complex challenges that organizations face today. Central to the discussion was Mindcast's email security 3.0 strategy, our solution framework that covers the primary attack surfaces that organizations are exposed to today, including perimeter defenses, impersonation, insider threat detection, and brand exploit protection. This all increases the awareness of the broad range of solutions that Mindcast delivers on our unified platform of services. And thank you to everybody who helped make this event such a success. Now I'd like to share with you some details of our most recent acquisition, Message Control, an identity and intelligence layer that we're incorporating into the Mindcast platform to bolster our Zone 1 perimeter defenses and further enhance our threat detection. This technology tuck-in furthers Mindcast's email security 3.0 solution framework, which enables organizations to continue to benefit from email as the most trusted and open electronic communications platform. Message Control's innovation around the identity graph is another strategic component in building and underwriting that trust. In addition to the leading-edge technology that our customers will quickly benefit from, we incorporate a fabulous team of engineers to our R&D ranks to drive further innovation on our platform. In the last 12 months, we've added three diverse teams of engineers to the company through technology acquisitions as we invest to ensure Mindcast remains a leader in efficacy against determined and persistent attackers. Operating our business during the COVID-19 lockdown, we have come to understand more closely how important our digital communications are and how important it is to be able to trust those communications networks. We've observed customers moving away from legacy email security solutions that have failed to innovate and have become less effective. Several former Symantec customers have found Mindcast's platform to be more effective, including a UK-based financial institution with 1,500 employees that selected Mindcast's full email security 3.0 suite of defenses. Additionally, this customer adopted Mindcast archiving solutions with our supervision extension to comply with financial regulation requirements, seeking to leverage the breadth of Mindcast services while consolidating point solutions and simplifying IT. This customer also purchased our awareness training, our secure messaging, and our large file sending services. Then a North American media company with 10,000 employees 
also found their Symantec setup less than effective and adopted Minecast Zone 1 and Zone 2 services to strengthen perimeter defenses and detect risks originating inside their organization. A serious threat vector that another North American-based microblogging service, who is not a customer, recently found can have devastating consequences to their operations. Then an Australian retailer with about 16,000 employees moved away from Symantec in favor of a more integrated solution and adopted our full email security 3.0 platform that includes our two most recent offerings of DMARC Analyzer and our brand exploit protection service. Additionally, this customer added awareness training to ensure their employees are an integral part of the overall cyber resilience strategy. And a final example of an organization finding their legacy semantic equipment to be ineffective at responding dynamically to the threat landscape is a North American healthcare provider with 7,500 employees. They purchased our Zone 1 and Zone 2 defenses, our continuity service to ensure availability of communications, and our archiving service with the privacy pack to comply with industry-specific archiving requirements. In all of these examples, we find the simplicity of Minecast's unified platform and our ability to address a broad range of customer needs, including industry-specific archiving requirements, underscores the desire of our customers to reduce point solutions and adopt cloud-native technologies that integrate well with other modern cloud vendors. We were delighted to be named a leader in the Infotech Data Archiving Data Quadrant, published in July, ranking Mimecast first across a number of capabilities, including business value created, product features, ease of implementation, and vendor support, among others. In summary, we're on a solid footing financially as we exceeded our first quarter guidance and are raising our outlook for the full year 2021. Analysts and customers alike continue to recognize our best-in-class efficacy, enabling our customers to continue to rely on email for their most important communication. We continue to strengthen our relationships with our partners and customers and attract new organizations to our platform. Finally, we are excited by the rapid pace of innovation as we invest behind our current and future offerings. The adoption of our newest offerings is an indicator of our strategy for meeting additional customer needs, and it's working and it's targeting the right areas. With that, I'll turn the call over to Rafe for a more in-depth review of our financials. Rafe. Thank you, Peter. As Peter mentioned, we had a very productive first quarter, despite the COVID-19 headwinds we all faced. I'm pleased to report that for the first quarter of fiscal 2021, we exceeded the high end of our guidance for both revenue and adjusted EBITDA, continuing to deliver a balanced scorecard of growth and expanded margins. In the first quarter, we generated revenue of $115.2 million, which represents growth of 16% over the prior year in absolute dollar terms. Adjusting for the $4.5 million of currency headwind we faced, our constant currency growth rate over the prior year stood at 21% for the quarter. Note that since providing guidance in May, foreign currency fluctuations positively impacted our first quarter results by $300,000. Adjusted EBITDA for the first quarter totaled $25.7 million, representing an adjusted EBITDA margin of 22.3%, compared to $13.5 million, or 13.6%, in the same quarter of the prior year. We are pleased that our focus on operational efficiencies and fiscal discipline continue to pay off in measurable ways. But since the realities of the COVID crisis materially impacts the ability to make a year-over-year bottom-line comparison, let me dive into this a bit further. Like many companies, we are learning a great deal about our ability to work remotely, travel less, and conduct large-scale online meetings. A number of these changes drove savings in the first quarter. For example, we had significant travel savings in the quarter across the board, augmented by the cancellation of our annual sales club event and conducting our fiscal 21 company kickoff in an all-virtual environment. As Pete mentioned earlier, our Cyber Resilience Summit, which was also conducted in a virtual environment this year, was fabulously successful, 
It reached far more customers and prospects than the in-person event last year and generated content that can be easily repurposed for internal training and future marketing events. And it was done at a fraction of the cost of an in-person event. We have continued to expand our teams, though our overall hiring rate has slowed as we closely examine the economic environments in each of our markets. Taken together, we realized a net benefit of approximately $6 million as a result of the sudden changes to our operating environment. As we look across the year in its entirety, we are planning to reinvest a portion of the savings we expect to see in the first half of the year as we, hopefully, return to a more normalized business environment in the second half. For example, given the importance of pipeline generation, we are investing in additional virtual events and more broadly, our digital marketing experience on an end-to-end basis. We are assuming that we will be able to travel in the coming months and believe that despite the success of online encounters, there will be significant demand to visit prospects and customers. In fact, our Central European team is already reporting that customer visits are beginning to return now that the virus infection rates have improved in their part of the world. We are also using the short-term savings to accelerate longer-term systems projects that will focus on customer success and driving greater efficiency throughout the organization. Turning to average order values, we continue to see increases. Currently, average order values for all customers stand at $12,400, up approximately 10% over the prior year in constant currency terms. This trend of improvement in average order values is attributable to two favorable shifts within the company. First, our continued expansion up market. Further to Pete's comments, our success in the enterprise market this quarter demonstrates the impressive work the team has undertaken to serve some of the biggest companies in the world. Currently, 48% of our revenue now comes from customers with more than 1,000 seats, up from 46% this time last year. Second, we continue to see an uptick in the average number of services per customer across our customer base, which rose to 3.4 services per customer in the quarter, up from 3.2 services last year at this time. I also want to point out that customers with four or more services now make up 42% of our customer base, which is a 300 basis point improvement since Q1 of last year. In the first quarter, we added 600 net new customers, bringing our total customer count to 38,600 customers worldwide, compared to 900 net new customers in the first quarter of last year. As you would expect, the COVID-19 crisis appears to be impacting smaller customers more significantly than their larger peers. The year-on-year change to net customer additions can be largely attributed to the lower end of our seat segmentation. Focused solely on these smaller customers, we saw approximately 200 fewer new customers in the quarter and noted an uptick of churn of approximately 100 customers when comparing the same segment of smaller customers to Q1 of last year. Despite the COVID-19-related challenges, I would note a bright spot on our efforts to acquire Symantec customers. For the second quarter in a row, we noted a meaningful uptick over the prior year in terms of new bookings attributable to customers leaving the Message Labs platform. Net revenue retention, which we measure on a trailing four-quarter basis, totaled 106%. Looking at its components, upsell totaled 113% as at the end of the first quarter while downsell and churn stayed steady at approximately 7%. There are a few points to consider when evaluating these numbers, so let me give you a bit more color. First, these figures are clearly being impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. In particular, as we license on a per-seat basis, both upsell and downsell are sensitive to overall employment numbers within our customer base. Unsurprisingly, we are seeing headwinds related to our ability to upsell customers and to customer downsell. Second, while our downsell and churn rates stayed steady from Q4 to Q1, the economic fallout of the COVID-19 crisis is continuing to play out across the world. We are aware of a number of customers currently restructuring their business and reducing their workforces. As we discussed in our May call, this is very likely to create additional short-term pressure on the downsell and churn rate as the economic downturn progresses. Finally, and turning to upsell, We have been discussing the fact that we are in the midst of a product transition. Our Zone 1 product offering, Targeted Threat Protection, has now penetrated 75% of our customer base and, by all accounts, has been a great success in terms of driving upsell. In addition, an even higher portion of new customers buy TTP as part of their initial purchase, 
As such, TTP's ability to drive upsell is now limited. Fortunately, we have five new products to introduce to our existing customers, and we're seeing successful sales engagements across all of these products, among which our Zone 2 internal email protection solution is finding significant traction. As we examine current trends and now anticipating the economic challenges caused by the COVID-19 crisis will push into the second half of the fiscal year, I want to give you a bit more granularity on our financial modeling of net revenue retention. We are maintaining our estimates for downsell and churn, which we believe may rise to approximately 8% as the economic crisis drags on. Assuming the economic headwinds continue to stress both the seat and product-driven aspects of upsell, we have modeled in scenarios that further challenge our upsell rate, pushing it to between 11 and 12% for the year. We do believe there are a number of factors at play that will drive better performance and ultimately improvement in these rates. First, a better economic environment would have significant impact on net revenue retention. Beyond the macro, we are confident that our Zone 2 offerings, awareness training, and internal email protection are important solutions that have the potential to reach a significant portion of our installed base and thus drive upsell. In addition, our newest offerings in Zone 3 and Web are gaining momentum as our sales team becomes accustomed to presenting these solutions. From a geographic perspective, all of our major markets, North America, the UK, and South Africa, are still struggling with the coronavirus crisis. However, I would note that the economic challenges in South Africa, from which we derive 10% of our revenues, are particularly acute and being felt across all segments of the business, including enterprise. We are pleased with the continued progress in Central Europe, which is our fastest growing region in terms of revenue. Turning to gross margins, for the first quarter of 2020, we recognized a 77% non-GAAP gross margin, up 130 basis points from Q1 of the prior year, driven by efficiencies we are finding within our customer support organization and grid operations. This continues our progress towards our long-term goal of achieving 80% non-GAAP gross margins. Our non-GAAP operating profit for the first quarter was $17.7 million, or 15.3% of revenue, an improvement of 870 basis points from the prior year. In bottom line terms, our first quarter GAAP net income was $3.1 million, or a profit of $0.05 cents per diluted share, based on 64.7 million fully diluted weighted average shares outstanding. Our GAAP tax charges totaled approximately $600,000. Second quarter tax expense is expected to be approximately $1.1 million, and our full year GAAP tax expense is estimated to be approximately $4 million. Our non-GAAP net income for the quarter was $14.2 million, or $0.22 cents per diluted share, based on 64.7 million fully diluted weighted average shares outstanding. Our non-GAAP tax rate was 24.5% for the quarter. Turning to cash flows. Our first quarter operating cash flows totaled $29.3 million, or 25.4% of revenue. Free cash totaled $18.5 million for the quarter. Please note that Q1 free cash flow benefited from COVID-19-related incentives enacted by the U.S. and U.K. governments. The U.K. offered a VAT incentive that defers certain VAT payments until March of 2021. This served to increase free cash flow for the quarter by approximately $5 million. However, please take note that these funds will be due to be remitted in our fourth quarter so there will be no net benefit to the year. In the U.S., free cash flow benefited by approximately $800,000 due to an ability to delay payroll tax remittances to the government. We will continue to see this benefit through Q3. These tax payments are deferred to fiscal 22 and fiscal 23. As of June 30th, Mimecast had $199 million of cash on the balance sheet. Turning to our acquisition and message control, we are pleased to have the message control team as part of Mindcast. The range of services and their talent will be another important differentiator over the competition as we go forward. After acquisition accounting deferred revenue adjustments, acquired message control customer revenue is expected to total approximately $400,000 for the remainder of fiscal 21. In terms of taking the message control product to marketing, the first of order of business will be to fully integrate the message control solution onto our platform, which we believe 
will drive significant market opportunity in future fiscal years. As such, additional FY21 revenue benefit will be limited. Let me now turn to guidance. For the second quarter of 2021, revenues are expected to be in the range of $120.8 million to $121.8 million, or 17 to 18% growth in constant currency terms. Our guidance is based on exchange rates as of July 23, 2020, and includes an estimated negative impact of $100,000 resulting from the strengthening of the U.S. dollar compared to the prior year. Adjusted EBITDA for the second quarter is expected to be in the range of $26.8 million to $27.8 million. Free cash flow for Q2 is expected to be approximately $13 million. Given the ongoing COVID-19 crisis, it remains difficult to assess how quickly the global economy will recover. The persistence and now the resurgence of the virus in our operating geographies is pushing us to remain cautious about how quickly the global economy will recover, which we expect will directly impact our short-term growth opportunity. However, as we have said before, the recurring nature of our revenue base and our disciplined approach to expense management gives us a solid baseline on which we can model our business. As such, we are updating our guidance to reflect the following. Full year 2021 revenue is expected to be in the range of $488.1 million to $493.1 million, or 16 to 17% growth in constant currency terms. Foreign exchange rate fluctuations are negatively impacting this guidance by an estimated $6.7 million compared to the rates in effect in the prior year. The prior guidance for fiscal year 2021 provided in early May was $480 million at the midpoint. Our overachievement in Q1 is leading us to raise the midpoint of our full-year guidance by $1.5 million in constant currency terms. We have also raised the midpoint of our guidance by $400,000 to reflect the acquired revenue message control is bringing to the company. In addition, this raise of $1.9 million is being positively impacted by $8.7 million of foreign exchange tailwind that has arisen since the rates used in our May call, resulting in the midpoint of our full-year guidance moving up by $10.6 million in absolute dollar terms from $480 million to $490.6 million. Full-year 2021 adjusted EBITDA expectations are being raised to a range of $97.3 million to $99.3 million, even after absorbing the operating costs associated with message control. With this raise, we are increasing our adjusted EBITDA guidance by $3.3 million at the midpoint, which would equate to a 175 basis point improvement over the prior year. Full year 2021 free cash flow expectations are being raised to a range of $77 million to $79 million. This would reflect a free cash flow margin of 15.9% at the midpoint of our revenue guidance and a 720 basis point improvement over the prior year. We are truly proud of our team's performance this past quarter. Given the increases in email-based attacks, our customers are depending on Mindcast more than ever. We are confident that by remaining focused on our customers and our team, we will be able to achieve our financial goals, even during these uncertain times. With that, operator, let us please now open the line to questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question or comment at this time, please press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, simply press the pound key. Again, if you have a question or comment at this time, please press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. Our first question or comment comes from the line of Matt Hedberg from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hey, it's Dan Bergstrom from Matt Hedberg. Thanks for taking our questions. You called out a number of semantic customer wins in their prepared remarks. Sounds like they're purchasing additional products from you. How should we think of that opportunity unfolding in fiscal year 21? Seems like you've had good success there over the last several quarters. And I guess um, sounds like the opportunity could be accelerating here. Is that is that the case? Yeah, Dan, thanks for the question. It's uh, Peter here. 
yeah, I think the way to think about it, you know, Symantec has a, a pretty large, uh, they were a, a pretty substantial player in the cloud email security business. Uh, probably, you know, between 100 and 200 million dollars of, of cloud email security business and then some on-premise, uh, business as well. Um, you know, in the last year or so since, uh, the Broadcom acquisition, the migration away from Symantec, uh, has certainly picked up a little bit. But we think it's, you know, these are large enterprise organizations in many cases, uh, with multi-year contracts. So there is some friction in terms of them migrating off, uh, but we have certainly had success for many years in migrating semantic customers over onto our platform, uh, and I think the, uh, the anecdotal examples that I called out in the prepared remarks, as you say, uh, illustrate that we've got some really nice wins in. You know, we think it's an opportunity that will continue to, um, you know, work for us for uh, quite a few quarters uh, still to come. Thanks, and then I don't know if you... Uh you know, had any thoughts on business trends or activity in July here? Any way to think about July relative to June, perhaps, or ju- July relative to prior Julys in terms of um, activity or pipeline build? Yeah, and, and so I'm sorry, just making sure I understand the question. You're just, can you just repeat the question? Yeah, I didn't quite understand. The, the quarter was strong. Just, just curious about any initial thoughts around, you know, flow through to July. So, you know, I think we're not going to um, break down specific details on the month. You know, it's very clear that the the crisis is is still going on in a number of parts of the world that that are quite important to us. And so, um, you know, I think we're we're still dealing with that economic headwind out there more broadly. That said, you know, it is very clear that you know, the world is figuring out how to work in a remote environment. So. Um, you know, I think we're kind of pleased with the demand out there, certainly very pleased with our team and the way they're executing in this environment. Um, and so, you know, we've taken all that account as we uh, gave our guidance for the, for the year. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Brent Hill from Jeffries. Your line is open. This is Joe on for Brent. I uh, appreciate the question. Um, also appreciate the extra color on the customer count increases. So just to be clear, the, the weakness was in the smaller customer segment, was that below a thousand seats and otherwise the larger customers was in line with seasonal. And then I think last quarter you had noted 200 customers were buying standalone products or the, the next gen products. Did that trend continue this quarter? So on the smaller account, it, it was, you know, it was even on the smaller end of the sub-1000 group by customer count where we saw the most volatility. Um, that was the numbers that I highlighted. You know, as you can imagine, you know, the, the, a crisis like this just hits those customers quite a bit harder um, and, and directly impacts the customer count number because they're smaller, not as much on the, on the dollar side, if you will. Um, on, in terms of customer on-ramps this quarter, it, we, we certainly saw the trend continuing, uh, not quite at the pace that we saw in, in the prior quarter in terms of those single on-ramp customers, but that trend does continue where, um, you, you know, we, we think of it as additional on-ramps to using Mindcast, where you might come on for a particular, uh, particular solution, one of our emerging products, but that, of course, sets up the relationship where we hope to, to expand down the road. Awesome. That's helpful. And then I'm um, glad to hear about the strength in Central Europe. I think last quarter you had noted some geo-weakness in UK and South Africa. H- how did those regions do this quarter? Any any further context? Yeah, you know, very much those two regions are very much in the midst of, of the corona crisis. I would, as I noted in, in my prepared remarks, South Africa is probably particularly challenged and, and worthy of, of taking note of just because they were having some economic challenges coming into the COVID crisis. Um, it is certainly, you know, quite complex there in terms of both the, the double whammy between a, a tough economy and the virus really having significant strength. And and that, without a doubt, is, is going to make doing business there harder. Um, on the U.K. side, you know, it, it was much like North America, which – it wasn't the best quarter in the world in terms of environments to sell into, just with the, uh, all the changes afoot. But, but again, people really figuring out 
how to how to do their business from home. Great to hear. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Terry Tillman from Truist Securities. Your line is open. Hey, guys, this is actually Nick on for Terry. Thanks for taking our questions. Um, first one I had was actually kind of pivoting back toward the Cyber Resilience Summit. Um, we heard you guys mention some capabilities such as Safe Score and then Case Review and Threat Intelligence. How have these newer capabilities resonated with customers so far? And um, have these capabilities potentially helped you move further up market and land some larger enterprise accounts? Thanks. Yeah, thanks uh, for calling those out. Yeah, so those are really exciting uh, new capabilities that we're delivering, uh, definitely resonating with customers. It was a, a strong reception uh, to those uh, um, you know, new features in the, in the platform uh, as, we, as we showcased uh, what we're working on there. Um, certainly as we've talked to larger customers, it's not just those features, it's the broader strategy that they fit into and the way the way the particularly on the email security 3.0 strategy, how uh, concepts uh, like safe score and threat intelligence and our API integration strategy, how they work uh, in concert across all three of the zones, the perimeter zone, inside the perimeter and beyond the perimeter. So you know, as a collective, we think it's very powerful and and definitely creates a, a value multiplier for customers as they adopt uh, more of the suite and very appealing uh, upmarket uh, in the enterprise space. Got it. That's helpful. And then just as a follow-up, um, given the recent acquisition of message control and even the acquisitions you guys did last year in Segasec and, and DMARC Analyzer, I guess how should we think about product development, product development moving forward in terms of buy versus build? Thank you. Yeah, so uh, if you recall our history, we've spent a lot of time, in fact, almost the first decade and a half of our company's history, building an organic, uh, cloud-first, multi-tenant, multi-product, microservices platform, uh, and really getting those those foundations and that design ideology right. Um, And what we've done in the past few years is really build out with some some very selective technology and talent tuck-ins to build out our portfolio. So if you think about email security 3.0, we've really been able to build out those zones over the last uh, uh, couple of years with acquisitions uh, that brought us into the awareness training market uh, that gave us more advanced uh, malware detection and, and efficacy um, uh, capabilities uh, with uh, Segasec uh, out of Israel. Um, we've built our Zone 3 capabilities with the DMARC Analyzer and, uh, uh, sorry, Solbit was the uh, uh, um, malware fighting technology. Segasec was the Zone 3 uh, brand exploit protect offering that we now have. So um, I, I think a very effective strategy for layering in capabilities that catalyze our ability to move into some of these adjacencies uh, and provide a more broad-based strategy that has really, I think, expanded from our original uh, email security and email archiving value proposition, um, which you know landed very well in the mid-market and below, up into a, a more broad-based value proposition that now traverses all the way from SMB right up into uh, the large enterprise space. Got it. That's helpful. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Sterling Audi from J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Hi, guys. This is Matt on for Sterling. Thanks for taking the question. Um, so the first question, you know, around the, in terms of the headwinds that you talked about um, on the, you know, smaller end and even just in general of your, your customer base, is that more a function of downsizing or outright cancellations? Um, you know, is that from business closures? Have you seen customers moving to absolutely no email security or even to, you know, some Microsoft solutions? Thanks. Yeah, I think the, the earlier days of the crisis, um, I think it's playing out more that we saw a downsizing where customers would stay with Mimecast, but it was more of a, a reduction in in the number of seats. And, you know, obviously some of the industries were really directly and very quickly impacted by the crisis. You know, think travel or retail. And we called out in uh, last quarter's call, we have about 14% of our 
overall customer base that we had in those really heavily impacted areas. And, and so, you know, that's where we saw a downsell in the earlier period of time. It, frankly, our kind of running hypothesis is, is that some of the businesses going, you know, people closing their businesses and things of that nature will play out over a longer period of time. Um, you know, that first three months, it, it was certainly very sudden, and, and there was a lot of companies who had to shrink their workforces, but were still, um, you know, in the fight in a big way. As I mentioned, particularly in South Africa, we're aware of a couple uh, accounts there that are being restructured rather significantly, and so, you know, you, you do worry that some of those won't make it through the crisis. Great. That, that's very helpful. And then uh, one follow-up. In terms of billings, um, could you remind us, are there any, you know, large uh, contracts uh, in terms of either the first quarter or second quarter of last year? You know, just looking at billings over the next, you know, the last two quarters have been in that nine to, you know, uh, low double-digit range. How should we think about that? Thanks. Yeah, you know, we always do caution people with the calculated billings that everybody um, does go through that they can be quite inaccurate just because they do have FX. They don't reflect shifts in in billing cycles and and, and whatnot. I, I would say that the measure that you should take into account is in this first quarter, we were engaged with a lot of these companies that were having a tough time, and, and we allowed some of them to shift from annual upfront contracts to quarterly for a shorter period of time, but um, but certainly would impact the billings calculation for that first quarter. Um, so, you know, again, billings I think is quite a, a, a interesting measure when you're trying to recalculate it and back into it, and, and that's why we, you know, we tend to just point people towards our our issued revenue guidance as the best measure to look at. Great, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Brian Essex from Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for taking the question. Um, hey, I was wondering if you maybe just comment on, you know, you kind of track it every quarter, just the, the traction from Office 365. How much penetration was there this quarter? And are you seeing any kind of a pause there as enterprises maybe are a little bit less reluctant to migrate from on-premise into the cloud? You know, so we, we talked a, a couple quarters back. We've crossed that threshold where more than half of our base is on Office 365. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, that continues to gradually drift upwards. Um, you know, we, we haven't been breaking out the same number because it's, it's uh, breaking out the details of that number quarter to quarter. Mm-hmm. But, but certainly the trend is there where, uh, you know, Office 365's broader dominance in the market exists. And we find a lot of Office 365 customers coming to us each quarter. It's, it's one of the lead sources, um, you know, from where we, we gather customers is people who tried to go, as we say, naked on Office 365 and realized they needed the added protection of Mimecast. So that trend very much still continues. I think we're aware that, you know, broadly in these tougher financial times, the, the finance guys might push back harder on solutions um, than they would in, in more lucrative times, but the the value that Mimecast brings to um, an Office 365 implementation, you, you know, just cannot be ignored. And given the uh, the risks that are out there and the increasing risk because of the crisis, it's more important than ever to have Mimecast in conjunction with your Office 365 implementation. Got it. That's super helpful. And maybe just to follow up on some of the large enterprise wins, um, you know, any any way to put a little bit more color around, you know, how many of those are semantic related, how many of those are, you know, other vendors where you have competitive displacements, and any other substantial trends like vendor consolidation playing out in the market is maybe a little bit of a tailwind for you? Yeah, great question. So, um, so I think a number of the of the stories that I called out in the prepared remarks, uh, you know, a number of those were semantic, not all of them, but. A number of them mm-hmm. were semantic uh, displacements, which was uh, exciting. Um, I think the the competitive landscape or the displacement uh, landscape is fairly broad still. So, you know, there's Naked on Office 365, there's Symantec, there's Cisco, there's a number of other vendors. Right. And the, uh, the the vendor consolidation opportunity, I, th- I think, sort of shows up in, in, in two ways. The one is... Customers looking at a broad uh, cyber resilience strategy 
and looking to deploy a suite of solutions that can cover off a number of the risks around uh, a concentrated dependency on Office 365. And it's not just an individual company's dependency on Office 365. It's the, it's the global dependency of almost all companies uh, going forward that are dependent on Office 365 and the inherent risks of a homogenous uh, security environment and a uh, you know, extremely um, compelling attack surface. So mitigating those risks uh, comprehensively with an integrated suite. But it's also um, really looking at how to simplify IT and save uh, costs going forward uh, with an economic downturn. And, we, you know, we learned through the economic downturn of 08 and 09 as well that uh, organizations are going to have smaller budgets, uh, leaner teams, um, and as Rafe mentioned, there are greater risks in the cybersecurity landscape right now, uh, and those need to be addressed. And so our ability to, to consolidate solutions and offer customers an opportunity to have less complexity in the environment because of our architecture, we're finding to be you know, very, very compelling uh, in the marketplace. Great. Very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Saket Kalia from Barclays. Your line is open. Okay, great. Hey, guys, thanks for taking my questions here, and uh, apologies if, this, uh, if these have already been addressed. Um, maybe, maybe first for you, Peter, uh, can, can we just talk a little bit about the increased usage on average? I, I think there. I think the usage there is going from uh, from 3.2 products per customer up to 3.4. I guess the question is, what products are moving that needle the most, and which ones do you think are sort of getting ready to contribute more to that metric going forward? Does that make sense? Yeah. Second. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. You're absolutely right. So year over year, 3.2 products moving up to 3.4 which, you know, considering the size of the base now, 38,600 customers, uh, you know, making those movements uh, is exciting for us, and, and it's great to see, particularly as we built out this expanded product portfolio uh, since going public, uh, you know, four and a half years ago, almost five years ago now, we've really expanded from what was uh, seven-ish products, six, seven products, up to about 11, 12 products now uh, in, in the portfolio. So, uh, as Rafe mentioned, TDP, you know, runaway success, and we've built a, a fair amount of saturation in the customer base there. Of course, a lot of new customers out there in the, in the market that we can still sell that to. What we're really finding uh, great traction with now is what we talk about as our Zone 2 play. So, that's really the IEP product uh, and the awareness training product. Those are really strong uh, sellers and gaining uh, good traction for us. We've also found, uh, we were just looking at the, the, the numbers the other day, secure messaging has been a, a really strong grower for us in the mix. We don't talk about security very often, but um, with data leak prevention uh, and, and compliance requirements that organizations have, uh, the, the ability to have a, a really slick, well-integrated encryption solution for email uh, has grown increasingly important. Um, I think the mainstays of archiving, you know, they, those are bigger numbers. That, that continues to be a driver of demand for us. And then going forward, <clears throat> we're excited about Zone 3. We think that uh, that, is a, that is a market that is going to start to pick up, and, and obviously those two acquisitions in that space, we, we think we have really good offerings there. Uh, and then longer term, you know, the direction that the web security market is going in and growing in, um, we see that as a, a very big opportunity, but we've got to very much earn our space in that, in that market um, and continue to develop capabilities. You, you probably saw we recently announced uh, browser isolation as part of that solution, but the real secret source here is that all of these capabilities are delivered as part of an integrated suite that's really simple to manage, uh, and we offer uh, really easy to consume subscription plans for customers to get on board and, and start taking things off their to-do list um, uh, in, in a really slick way. Got it. Got it. That's really helpful. Maybe, maybe if I follow up for you, Rafe, 
Um, you know, great to see the revenue guide up, go up by about 10 million for the year at the midpoint. Um, and again, apologies if this was addressed in the prepared remarks, but how much of that is perhaps, uh, you know, the better, you know, what sounds like better bookings performance here in Q1 and for the rest of the year versus perhaps some FX tailwinds versus inorganic? Is there a way to sort of parse out that, that, that kind of delta in guide? Yeah, you bet, second, and thank you. Uh, and first, just to, as a reminder for everyone, we use the FX rates as of July 23rd for our guides, so um, just to set that. So the, the total raise at the midpoint was $10.6 million, and that's comprised of $1.9 million that is from the Q1 beat as well as the additional $400,000 that – of acquired revenue that's coming in from the acquisition of message control, and then 8.7 of FX tailwind. So it's the 1.9 million plus the 8.7 million of FX tailwind. That makes a ton of sense. Thanks a, thanks a bunch, guys. Okay. Thanks, second. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Keith Bachman from BMO. Your line is open. Hi, thank you. I wanted to go back to the net retention rate for a second. You indicated some, uh, a couple different hurts associated with uh, perhaps lower retention and less upsell. So it sounds like it could be, you know, called a 104 number this quarter. But, but how should we think that? What's implicit in your guidance as you look out for the subsequent quarters thereafter? Do you, do you anticipate that net retention will be in the the mid-105-ish kind of range, um, or do you anticipate with some improvement in the economy, you know, that might go up? So what's what's embedded in your expectations as it relates to the REV guide you just gave? Yeah, no, thank you for that clarification because it's a, it's a bit detailed. So one of the things to remember with, with all of these numbers for the uh, net revenue retention numbers, that they're on a trailing four-quarter basis, and so – it does take some time for the, the numbers to, to reflect uh, the, the full measure of the crisis as we're going through that. So th- just to hit on the components, you, when we're modeling this, we're looking at what we think is going to play out over the course of the year. So it will take some time perhaps for the numbers to move. And we've, we've assumed that the crisis and the economic recovery are going to drag on, perhaps even a little bit longer than we had hoped just three months ago as we're seeing resurgences in some places. And so, you know, I, I wanted to break down and give you a bit more detail. So on the downsell and churn side, we believe that that rate may rise to approximately 8% as the crisis drags on, 8%, um, you know, as we move through the year. And then on the upsell, we're thinking our overall upsell rate might come down to between 11 and 12%. Now, this is not necessarily for this next quarter. We're thinking that will be reflect the economic crisis dragging on um, and and playing out over the rest of the year. Okay. Okay. That, yeah. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. So it's it's probably going to tick down as we run through the year because uh, because of the forces you mentioned is, is essentially how we should be thinking about it. It, it, you know, if, if the crisis continues to drag on, yes, I'm afraid we'll have, you know, some some additional headwinds there. But, you know, very much naturally, if, if we get the economy starts to bounce back, I think that has probably the single biggest, most dramatic effect. But also to remember, you know, we are out to market with a lot of new product and new offerings. And, and so, again, some of these just uh, tendencies of business returning more to normal, even if there is, uh, tougher environment out there. It certainly gives us a lot of opportunity to 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 get back in there and drive sales of, of additional products, even if the seat count numbers are somewhat suppressed. Yeah, understand. Okay, well that leads into my second question then, because I want to return to competition and just to make sure I focus more directly. In that, it's understandable that your um, your attrition rate is going up because you do have some exposure to the. SMB community, so lower seat count, South Africa, uh, things along those lines. So it under, I think it's totally understandable that your seat count's getting a little bit of pressure. But, but to ask it more directly, are you seeing customers migrate away from, uh, Mindcast to a competitive offering in the course of this crisis? In other words, are you losing share directly that's impacting the attrition? Or is the vast, vast group and majority 
um, the, the seat count and things like that? Certainly what we've seen thus far in the crisis, it's been, it's been really seat count driven is the, is the biggest driver for where we've, you know, felt the, the, the crisis, um, you know, and I, I think that was particularly so in, in that first quarter. As I called out earlier, we're worried about some of the companies uh, making it through the, the crisis you know, that you know, are in really directly impacted industries. So those are our two biggest concerns by far. Okay. So in other words, you're not seeing more customers just go native with Microsoft, and that's crowding you guys out at all. I, you know, I, you know, I called out a little bit in the in the net customer numbers on the very very low end of the business, but you know, yeah. the, the real dollars and the big trend are are as I described. Okay, fair enough. Many thanks. Best of luck. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Daniel Bartas from Bank of America. Your line is open. Hey guys, thanks for taking the question. Um, maybe this one's a little bit more for you, Ray. First. Your exposure to the impacted industries, I think, was 14 to 20 percent last quarter. Wondering if you've guys seen any notable improvement in any verticals since you gave that metric, and if you think the 14 to 20 percent is still the right way to think about your revenue exposure right now. Yeah, and, and that's right. And the, the, you know, the 14 percent, just to make sure we're all on the same page, was our hospitality, transportation, retail, and oil and gas was in there. It's a relatively small amount. Um, then. We have a, a approximately an extra seven to seven and a half percent in the medical space. Um, so, you know, not surprisingly, that especially within that fourteen percent group was the group very directly hit during during the quarter. Um, and so, you know, it, that's playing out as, as you would expect, and um, no real changes there. I would say on the on the hospital side or the medical side, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. There's instances where people um, were looking for better security, responding to new attacks that were coming their way. But then likewise, uh, a lot of medical groups are under some severe financial pressure with elective surgeries and whatnot dried up. So that that one's been a bit more of a, a complicated read. It kind of differs on a case-by-case basis. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. And then just on the churn, it's it's good to see it was flat at seven percent. Sounds like it's going to eight percent in your assumptions. But it, can you just talk a little bit about the improvements you guys have made to customer success? Are you guys starting to see that those investments bear fruit, and could that be a potential offset to the COVID headwinds in the second half of the year, perhaps? Thanks. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a great point. You know, one of the things um, that, that we've talked about over the last two quarters is Pete uh, brought in a new leader to run the customer success group. Um, she's implemented and is continuing to implement improvements in the group, you know, a lot of which were really focused on making sure we were properly matched, having our very best um, people working on the big enterprise accounts, making sure they weren't those enterprise accounts weren't siphoning off too many resources from other parts of the business, and, and then really getting to know the accounts and getting early warning mechanisms, if you will, built into the system so we get can get out in front of potential churn risk. Um, and I think that is starting to pay off. You know, we've, we've seen a notable improvement in enterprise, uh, you know, large account level downsell and churn over the last couple of quarters. So that was certainly been encouraging. So, you know, I think to answer your question and as, as this plays out, I, I do think that, you know, there are fruits of that labor is out there for us. It, it's you know, unfortunate that it's perhaps playing out in a con- in, in this environment, so it's not as readily apparent broadly. Got it. Makes sense. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Jonathan Ruckhaver from Baird. Your line is open. Yeah, good afternoon. I just have one question, and it's, it's regarding the security awareness training service and, and the synergies you, you see with the email gateway products. How important is that in competitive situations, or is it the content that is the prime differentiator when you go to market? Yeah, Jonathan, great question. So so I, I think both of them are, are quite important. Certainly we're a big believer in the power of content and the power of, of really well put together content and its ability to change and shift a culture inside an organization towards being uh, much more security savvy 
uh, and away from being the weakest link in the security chain. So content is is, is really uh, important, and we've, we've put a, a lot of emphasis on that. Having said that, we think there are real advantages for us as a gateway provider in delivering the service. So a couple of examples. The opportunity for us to take actual live attacks that are being targeted at the customer, defang those, and have those used by the customer as phishing simulation tests, we think is really compelling. So uh, this uh, capability that we talk about now is, is safe fish, um, which will be coming out in, in our product shortly, uh, we think is really compelling. The other thing is that we have really good telemetry on what customers, uh, what the customers end users are actually clicking on. So, for example, we rewrite all of the URLs that come through emails on an inbound basis, and we can monitor what the clicking behavior is on those URLs, regardless of whether the URL is bad or, or not. When uh, an end user clicks, we go and do that uh, real-time lookup. So we know that the person has clicked something bad, and um, we can stop them from going there, but we can record the fact that they uh, behaved in a, in a risky fashion. One of the things that we've seen, which we thought was really interesting, was our customers that have bought our awareness training product, which is about 2,300 uh, across our base. The, the propensity of their users to click bad links is 5.2 times lower than the propensity of the users in our broader user base. So that shows us some really good evidence of the power, not just of, of our awareness training product, but the value of being able to show that telemetry through the integration of the gateway service and the awareness training uh, platform. That's, that's interesting. That's very helpful too, Peter. Thank you very much. Great, Jonathan. Thank you. I'm afraid we have time for just uh, one more question. Our final question will come from the line of Joshua Tilton from Barron. <coughs> Your line is open. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my question. I just wanted to uh, follow up on Socket's question. Um, has the momentum around the Zone 2 product slowed at all in the current environment? And if so, how do we think about uh, their contribution to upsell and cross-sell rel today? relative to what baked into your full-year guide and even the long-term growth targets that you presented at the Investor Day? So the, of our emerging products, the more mature of, of the set live in Zone 2, and that's the internal email protection solution as well as the awareness training solution. Uh, you know, the, the other emerging solutions are, uh, are just a little bit newer and working off a smaller base. I think what we benefit from with the Zone 2 solutions is that they've, they've been out there a bit longer. The you know, sales team is, is just much more accustomed at, at presenting them to customers. They know the ins and outs. They know how to help make people successful. And, and so I think that gives us, you know, quite a bit of confidence in their future in the organization. And, you know, in the investor deck, um, you know, you'll see in particular IEP strong quarter in terms of just the number that have been deployed out there. Awareness training is continuing to grow. So, you know, I think we have quite a bit of runway from those products. And certainly, you know, as we look forward, it, you know, whether it's just the short term or the midterm, they're going to be an important part of that story. Yeah, what I, what I would add to that is that is that we have some uh, seasonality uh, with this having been our Q1. So we have a, a a peak of momentum that comes through in our Q4 typically, and this is just one of the rhythms of our business, and then our Q1 has, uh, has uh, seasonally lower and it builds up through the, through the year. So I think, you know, COVID probably compounds that a little bit as we, um, as we look back at it. But, um, you know, I would, I would definitely factor that in into, into your observations as well. That was helpful. And then if I could just follow up, um, you go, you guys highlighted that very large U.S. retail customer win in the quarter. Could you call out any specific reasons why that customer, you know, chose Mimecast over the incumbent solution in the space? Yeah, I think, um, I think dissatisfaction with the incumbent was one, was one factor. But I think they really liked our cloud native platform. 
And the fact that this is built from the ground up with the inherent scalability and reliability and the open APIs and, and the future-proof nature of, uh, of the way our platform is built and architected and the kind of agility that it offers them as a, a, a very large and distributed and dynamic uh, organization. So I, I think the technological superiority of what we offer the focus and attention of what uh, you know we, we uh, demonstrated to them during the sales cycle. Uh, of course, efficacy is a key factor for uh, for these larger organisations. So it, it it was a, n- a number of factors, um, but you know we uh, we we were selected, I believe, because we can solve the problems as they see them going forward um, in, in a far better way than. Uh, than the incumbent was uh, was able to uh, convince them. That was helpful. Thanks for sneaking me in. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to turn the conference back over to the management team for any closing remarks. Thanks for joining our uh, Q1 uh, FY21 earnings call. We've enjoyed presenting our results to you, and stay safe and healthy out there. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's conference. This concludes the program. You may now disconnect. Everyone, have a wonderful day.